Every week I forget just how ridiculous that thing is, and then every week it's there staring me in the face, and I wonder how I ever agreed to it. But hey, it's uh, good to be with you today. My name's Ethan, one of the ministers here. Uh, We're so glad you're here. If you're with us online, you're in the right place. We're glad you're here with us today. B-Team is just an exploration of some of the lesser-known characters of the Bible, figuring out what is it God wants us to learn from some of these stories we don't pay attention to uh, very often. Last week, I was traveling, didn't get to be here, uh, traveling with my family. But even though I was traveling with my family, I got last week to hear one of the best sermons I have really probably ever heard. And I've got three thanks uh, to that. First, of course, is to the Holy Spirit, from which all inspiration comes. The second is to John Emmert. And I'm just telling you, if you didn't hear John's sermon last week and second week of our B team, it was killer. Seriously, go back to the YouTube channel or wherever it is, your the Facebook, and find it and listen to it. It was transformational. God has been using it to work on my life like all week long. I can't get it out of my head. Uh, the third thanks, though, goes to our live stream team. Because uh, even though we weren't here, we were able to worship right along with the rest of you uh, because of the live stream team. Uh, there's some of them in the room right now doing their job. They're back in the booth. I so appreciate this team. They have just really, the last 18 months, just totally uh, transformed what we do. And we have hundreds of people worshiping with us online every week right now because of that transformation. So thanks for that team. And if you're traveling anytime this summer, I would just say, hey, don't miss a Sunday. Uh, we did it from our hotel room. Uh, we, did, we did it from the car on an iPad. Um, any place you can find Wi-Fi and a cell phone, you can uh, join in worship. So make sure you're doing that even when you're traveling. Um, listen, we got a ton of celebrations going on this year because it's our 150th uh, birthday as a church. I hope you got one of these little save the date cards as you came in. We were passing them out with the bulletins. If you didn't get one on the way in, grab one on the way out. Uh, tons more information to come about all these events, but we just want to make sure you're kind of getting them on your calendar. And we've also got a lot more kind of smaller events coming too, but these are the big four. Uh, The Go Love Run 5K race in September, Family History Day in October, and then two events on the same weekend in November, the weekend that actually is our 150th weekend, uh, and that is uh, a gratitude banquet on the 13th, and then our combined worship service on the 14th. We're going to rent Freedom Hall uh, so that we can all be all together, because we know we'll have a lot of guests too, and we can all be in one service. I I think this church hasn't been all in one service since sometime in the 70s, if I'm figuring this out right. So that'll be fun to be all in one service, and... um, We'll do that together on that Sunday. So grab this on the way out. If you didn't get one, uh, check out these dates. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I'll be frank here. Most of these I am super excited about. Uh, the one that has me very afraid is the 5K uh, because I've been told that I have to run. And, and, and to be honest, just to be clear, I'm not worried about winning the 5K. I'm not even worried about placing respectably at the 5K. What I'm worried about is collapsing at the 2K mark. That's what I am worried about. I'm worried, you know, everybody else will be first place and 10th place, and I'll be down there with the DNF, right? Did not finish, uh, or the went to hospital, or something like that. That's what I'll be down there for. And And I worry about that, not just because I'm terribly out of shape and haven't run 5K in like 30 years, but but also because I I sort of worry about that in life. I I worry about the DNF in life, but the did not 
finish in life. Because, you know, as I watch other people live, uh, you see some people who start strong, but don't finish. You know what I'm talking about? You, you, see a, you see a husband or wife who at some point just stops trying to make their marriage work, and pretty soon it doesn't work. You see somebody in their professional life who's, who's working strong and accomplishing things, and then they just start coasting. They just start, start showing up, and everybody else wonders what happened to the person who is so visionary and driving. You see that in people's spiritual lives, right, where, where they're, they're growing in God and they're growing in godliness, and all of a sudden something takes hold, you know. Usually it's some sin pattern or some return to some past habit, some appetite like we talked about last week, and, and all of a sudden they just, they just don't exactly finish what they started. Today, we're going to meet a guy like that. Most of you have never heard of him. Or if you have heard of him once, you know, you've forgotten about him because he's on the B team. But he had that problem. He started strong, but he did not finish. And, and I want us to just pay attention to why he didn't finish. Because if you, like me, want to finish the race of your life strong, maybe you want to learn from this one guy who didn't. And honestly, by the time I tell you his story, I won't really have much of a sermon to preach. Uh, what happened in this guy's life is so obvious and so clear, there won't be much to say. The only question will be, are we going to learn from him and his mistakes, or are we going to pretend like we're different? Guy's name was Joash. He was one of the kings of Judah in the line of David, and his story is told in two chapters of the Bible, uh, 2 Kings chapter 12 and 2 Chronicles chapter 24. And they both essentially tell the same story. Uh, you can go read it in both places and compare if you want to. Uh, but Chronicles has a few more details, and so we'll look at the story of his life as told in the book of Chronicles. And if you're wired up like me, your interest in this story starts in the very first paragraph with one ominous sentence. Here's the way it starts. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zabiah, and she was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years that Jehodiah was the priest. Jehodiah chose two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Now, I don't know about you what sentence you think is ominous. Maybe it's the thing with two wives. Maybe it's the thing uh, that his mother's name was Zabiah. But for me, the ominous sentence is this one. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years that Jehodiah was the priest. That, boys and girls, is called foreshadowing. That's where the author implies a thing that's going to happen later before it happens. Let's find out. Uh, verse 4. Sometime later, remember he was seven when he became king, so give the kid a chance. Sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. He called together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all Israel to repair the temple of your God. Do it now. 
But the Levites did not act at once. Therefore the king summoned Jehodiah, the chief priest, and said to him, Why haven't you required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax imposed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and by the assembly of Israel for the tent of the covenant law? Now the sons, this, is, this verse is an aside, it's not really part of the story, but I left it in there. Now the sons of that wicked woman, Athaliah, had broken into the temple of God and had used even its sacred objects for the balls. This is why the temple has to be restored. It's been used for pagan worship. So finally, they get, they get into action, verse 8. Now at the king's command, a chest was made and placed outside at the gate of the temple of the Lord. A proclamation was then issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that the Moses, the servant of God, had required of Israel in the wilderness. And all the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. And whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites to the king's officials, and they saw that there was a large amount of money, the royal secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. They did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. The king and Jehodiah gave it to those who carried out the work required for the temple of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters to restore the Lord's temple and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the temple. The men in charge of the work were diligent and the repairs progressed under them. They rebuilt the temple of God according to its original design and reinforced it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king and Jehudiah, and with it were made articles for the Lord's temple, articles for the service, for the burnt offerings, and dishes, and objects of gold and silver. And as long as Jehudiah lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. Now, Jehudiah was old and full of years, and he died at the age of 130 he was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good he had done in Israel for God and his temple. Well, a lot to learn about this Joash fellow. Pretty good king so far, wouldn't you say? Becomes king at seven, and as soon as he kind of grows into his own, he decides it's time to clean up the temple. He starts to collect the tax that was commanded by Moses, and instead of using it for other projects, he uses it for what it was for, to restore and maintain the temple. He even corrects the priests when they are not zealous for the work that was given to them to do. He challenges God's people to generosity, and he expects them to follow through. And then we even have the example of these workers. In fact, you can go look in 2 Kings. I love the way 2 Kings describes these workers. It says they worked so honestly and so faithfully that no one even had to go back and check their work because all of them made sure that it was done that well. But we still remember. We remember that one ominous sentence that hangs over Joash's life. The second sentence of the story, Joash did what was right for as long as Jehodiah was the priest in Israel. And now, Jehodiah has died. Verse 17, after the death of Jehodiah, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king buttered the king up a little bit, praised the king, told him what he wanted to hear, and he listened to them. 
They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors. They worshipped Asherah poles and idols. And because of their guilt, God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem. Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, son of Jehodiah, the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. But they plotted against him. By the order of the king, Joash, they stoned him to death. In the middle of the temple. Joash did not remember the kindness of Zechariah's father, Jehodiah, had shown him. But he killed his son. And as he lay dying, Zechariah said, may the Lord see this and call you to account. And sure enough, within the year, the army of Aram marched against Joash. It invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed the leaders of the people. They sent the plunder to their king in Damascus. And although the Aramean army had come with only a few men, the Lord delivered into their hand the much larger Judean force. Because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, judgment was executed on Joash. And when the Arameans withdrew, they left Joash severely wounded. His officials conspired against him for murdering the son of Jehudiah the priest. And they killed him in his bed. And so he died. He was buried somewhere in the city, but not in the tomb of the kings. Those who conspired against him were Zabad, son of Shemaiah, the Ammonite woman, and Jehazabad, son of Shimrith, a Moabite woman. The account of his sons, the many prophecies about him, the record of the restoration of the temple of God, aren't they? They're written in the annotations on the book of Kings. And Amaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. Wow. That is not a good second half. That is not a good finish. After such a great start, he abandons God. He desecrates the very temple that he had worked so hard to restore. He leads his people into a disastrous military defeat when the odds were in their favor. He kills the high priest, the son of the one who had been his mentor and advisor since he was seven years old. Foreigners are allowed into the city to murder him so blood wouldn't be on his own kid's hands. He's buried in shame. So I wonder, was Joash a good king or a bad king? He was better than some, I'll warn you. If you were to go back and read Kings or Chronicles, you would find he's nowhere near the worst. He does rebuild the temple, and it was in pretty bad shape. He does restore the worship 
of the one true God, even though later he defiles it. He does challenge the people to generosity, which they had long forgotten. Is he a good king or a bad king? One of the best or one of the worst? As best I can tell, it all depends on who he was listening to. When he was listening to Jehudiah, he was a great king, a bold king, a wise king, a godly king, a generous king, a humble king, a brave king, a powerful king. When he listened to the flattering power brokers of Judah, he was a fool, an apostate. Destructive, selfish. I think those of us who want to finish life well can learn something from Joash. I think what we learn from the life of Joash is that who we choose to listen to matters in our life. You know, can, can you just picture Joash saying, I've been the student of Jehodiah all these years. I've got this figured out. I know my own mind. Nobody's going to sway me off course. I know right from wrong. I can handle this. I don't need a counselor. I don't need a mentor. I don't need to listen to the voice of the priest anymore. But he was wrong. Who we listen to. The text goes over and over to say that the, the, the officials came and, and jo, Joash listened to them. And the prophets came and he did not listen to them. And then the officials come and he listens to them. There's this clear shift from where he was listening to Jehodiah and the prophets and those who spoke on behalf of God to where he's listening to everybody else. And who you listen to in life matters. It matters when you're young that you make a decision to listen to people who are living lives of wisdom and goodness and grace and love instead of listening to people who are living lives of self-destruction and chaos and selfishness. But it matters when you're old too. I think there's an illusion that we somehow grow beyond the influence of those we listen to. I was talking to a friend recently, just uh, about my age, and um, he was just like totally out of character for him. He was critical and pessimistic and kind of tearing down everybody around him, tearing down himself. And I don't even know what prompted the question, but I, I just, I just kind of asked spontaneously, dude, who have you been hanging around with lately? And I don't even know why I thought to ask that question, but it revealed so much because he had an answer. Well, I've been hanging out with them and them and them and them and them. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, dude, you need to hang out with them less. Because you're like, you're normally one of the most optimistic problem-solving people I know. And today, you just, 
you sound like there's no hope left. I said, I think you've been hanging out too much with people who are hopeless, who you listen to influences your life. See, I could pretend that I'm better than Joash, that I don't get influenced by the people I listen to, and you could pretend that you are too. We could pretend that this was just this one guy who had a problem that, depending on who he listened to, was the kind of person he was. But the actual, the Bible teaches this as a consistent principle of human life. It's a powerful theme in the Bible. It turns out it's the very first sin. Some of you might know this story. This isn't a B-team story. This is an A-team story. You might know this story. Right in the very beginning, God had given God's people some instructions. And instead, they listened to a snake. Who they chose to listen to, see, made all the difference in the course of their life. Uh, this, This idea that we can choose who we listen to is one of the dominant themes of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 19, listen to the advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. For many are the plans in the mind of man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Jesus actually says that one of the defining characteristics of people who are following Jesus is that they will listen to his voice. Uh, John 10, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of him, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. A little later in that chapter, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who lays down his life for us. Who are we? We're the ones who listen to his voice. He goes on. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I'll bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There'll be one flock and one shepherd. And then as if to drive the point home that who we choose to listen to matter, John tells us how the people reacted to this little sermon from Jesus back down in verse 19. The Jews who heard these words were divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? That's their rejection of Jesus. We're not going to listen to this guy anymore. Because if we listen to him, he might influence us. But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And in fact, they go on to listen to Jesus. See, if I could turn the story of Joash, if I could just turn it into two truths, they would be this. Mentorship matters. And who you listen to changes who you are. Mentorship matters. And who you listen to changes who you are. That for me, when I just read the story of Joash and I see the wreck of his life that he made when he was on such a good course, if he had just stayed on the path he was on, he would have been like the two best kings in the whole history of Judah. Mentorship matters. I knew a fellow once. He was a guy who had done, was influential in my early years of ministry. And he was telling me about a good friend of his. And I asked him, I said, 
how did you all become friends? Because you don't have a lot in common. You don't come from similar backgrounds. How did you all become such good friends? And this was his answer to me. He said, well, when I turned 75, I knew I needed a mentor in my life. And he was 92. And so he seemed to be living wisely. And I asked him to be my mentor. This guy was a 75-year-old retired preacher that I was going to as a mentor. And he was telling me he became friends with this other guy because when he was a 75-year-old retired preacher, he knew he needed a mentor about how to make his 70s and 80s count. So he went to a guy who was in his 90s. I don't know what he's going to do when he's in his 90s, you know. This guy is like, (laughs) I'll be honest, until that conversation I would have thought you outgrew the need for mentors. Like, I'm like, if you still need a mentor when you're 75, like, what? I don't know. But I think he was right. I think I was wrong. See, he'd figured out. He had learned the lesson of Joash's life, that if you don't have the right speaking, people speaking into your life, you will mess it up. You will, if, you're the right, if you're not listening to the right people, you will listen to the wrong people. And who you listen to will influence. Mentorship matters. I would just say, especially to you who aren't yet 75, anybody who hasn't hit 75, I'll just challenge you with this. Find a mentor for the stage of life that you're in. It might change. might be the same person for 50 years. It might not. I don't know. Find someone godly who will mentor you. Not just successful. Successful is too easy. I'm sure the Judean officials looked successful to Joash's eyes. Find someone godly who has the fruit of the Spirit, who is patient and loving and gentle and kind, and ask for just a little bit of their time. And to you who have some wisdom, like I would say, when should you start thinking about being a mentor? I think it's some point when you're older than 11. Like anything older than 11, you probably have a mentorship responsibility to somebody else. So that's so if you're older than 11, and that's a few of you, I can tell. If you're older than 11, probably you should be asking, who, could I, who can I be Yehodiah to? Who can I bless with what I know? Here's a little tip for men, okay? This is, just works for men, but sorry about this. But anyways, we've got a golf tournament coming up, okay? We've got a golf tournament coming up. It's just a simple, fun way to spend some time together. I've been told that it's designed in such a way that as long as one person in the group knows how to play golf, you'll be fine. That's what they promised me. I I haven't swung a pair of golf clubs like three times in my life, and the last time was 20 years ago. So I'm going, so whatever. Okay, but we have a golf tournament coming up. Here's Here's the thing I would do. If you think you need to be mentoring people, just invite some people that are younger than you to play golf with you and pay for it, okay? And if you need a mentor, just who is that wise person you want to be listening to? Ask him to play golf with you. Just start there, right? Like, just, just do this. Everyone who doesn't golf, uh, be creative. But don't think you're immune. Don't think that this was like Joe Ash's problem and it's not your problem. I would say especially if you're starting a new experience, Okay. Like maybe you're beginning college, or you're beginning seminary, or you're beginning a job, or you're a new parent, or you're a new parent of teenagers, or you're new at empty nesting, or you're about to retire. Like at any new experience you might start, 
find someone who's done it well and just ask them for a little of their time. I don't know, will you meet twice, ten times, once a month for five years? I'm not sure. But just don't pretend you're better than Joash. Because I'm telling you, at the halfway mark of Joash's life, nobody was better than Joash. So don't pretend you are. He was one of the best there had ever been at the halfway mark. And then he stopped listening to Jehodiah and started listening to the officials. Which brings me to the next thing you've got to remember from the life of Joash. Who you listen to, it changes who you are. Even if you don't agree with them, even if they don't convince you, even if you spend the whole time listening to them and arguing about how wrong they are, well, that just makes you argumentative. I'm just telling you who you listen to changes who you are. And I, I am worried. I mean, not existentially. Christ is still Lord. He'll take care of it. But as I look at our world, I worry about the voices that are influential in our culture right now. I worry, are we listening to voices that promote love and peace and tolerance and kindness and care? Are we listening to voices that tear us apart and drag other people down? What about your friends? Do you hang out with people who care desperately about all people? Or do you hang out with people who just care about their favorite group? Because who you listen to changes who you are. Are you listening to people who care passionately about those who don't know yet know Jesus? Or are you listening to people who don't give them much thought at all? Are you listening to people who want to love their neighbors and love their enemies? Or are you listening to people who are annoyed by their neighbors and hate their enemies? Who you listen to changes who you are. Now the good news is this works both ways, right? We can focus as I sort of have been on the second half of Joash's life, where he listened to the power brokers and the fools of Judah and led the nation into a shipwreck. But we could have focused on the first half. You could too. Where he listened to somebody who was wise and godly and had the things of God in mind and was for a short time one of the greatest kings Judah ever saw. You could do that too. You could decide to listen to somebody who has the character of Christ in a way you don't yet, and you want it. You could decide to listen to voices in our world that are speaking on behalf of love and respect and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. And who you listen to, it'll change you. You start listening to gentle people, you'll become a gentler person. You listen to kind people, you'll become a kinder person. You listen to people who trust in Jesus, you'll start trusting in Jesus. You know, about that 5K coming up in September, honestly, I'm not too worried. If I collapse at the 2K mark, I'm sure one of you kind people will pick me up and find me some water and I'll be okay. I'm not too worried if I get a DNF on the 5K. But I'm real worried about life. 
there I want to finish. And I want to finish strong. And so I've made some intentional choices about who I listen to. And I just think God would challenge you and the life of Joash would challenge you to do the very same. Let me pray for you. God, guard our ears. We need to make some choices about who we listen to. We need to make some decisions about what we're paying attention to. We don't want to see it all come to naught like it did for Joash. And so we just ask, God, that you would help some people make a choice today to listen first to Jesus and to those that love you, to those that are bearing the fruit of your spirit. And we would trust that who we choose to listen to will change us into the people you and we want to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song right now. If today's the day you need to say, I'm going to start listening to Jesus, or I want to join this church and be a part of a community that's trying to listen to godly voices and be transformed by it, you can come forward as we sing. But for all of us, let's stand and make a commitment to learn from the mistakes of Joash and listen to Christ with our lives.